KRCL, Salt Lake City. by surprise nick and i were out there reading gas i'm like wait a minute that's the theme song nick we gotta get going it's radio time yes yeah we are of course always your show for grassroots activists for community builders punk rock farmers and diy creatives laura jones thanks yeah and thank you to everybody listening for regularly plugging in here weeknights at six to your community connection with me tonight gosh later on the show we're going to talk with the folks from fit to recover they are a nonprofit community center um, and starting 2023 off with you know healthy practices based on fitness nutrition community creative arts they've got a new location opening up they've got an event this weekend so we'll be talking with those folks from fit to recover also we, as you know, at KRCL are part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, and I get to talk with Leah Larson again from the Salt Lake Tribune. She's done some recent reporting about three things that could actually help the Great Salt Lake, and also we want to catch up on the latest about U.S. Magnesium and their plot, their plan, their challenge. Their request. To try and dig three more miles yeah. of channels to uh, get another however many million liters of water to evaporate um so we'll get an update from leah larson but first laura yes. what do we got going on rallies and resources i am sure all right first of all i want to say thank you for doing the show are you good to go another year this is the question i asked live on the air <laughs> oh oh because it's 2023 yeah. i haven't hasn't even crossed my mind yeah am i good for another year yes i'm good to still be a volunteer here i've been here now what almost half the station's life it's a little yeah. frightening but pretty fun and you've got some big changes coming up. I do have some big changes coming up, so we can talk about those if you want. Yeah, I do. Okay. I think it's an important milestone, and I'll bring you a cake next week. Oh, it's a little surreal, but most folks, uh, most listeners know, Laura, that my day job is at the community college where I was, you know, tenure-track faculty and then associate dean for many, many years, and I've decided it's time to, like, step away. So I am uh, about facing my last week at the community college, and uh, it's a big transition. It's a little surreal. I've never done this before, but it's kind of cool. Well, congratulations. And I know your own experiences, you bring them into the show, and especially with uh, recovery on the back half of the show. I know you're going to be talking about that. Yeah, I have a little of history of <clears throat> going through that recovery stuff myself, albeit a couple decades ago now. So I'm happy to happy to talk about that with these folks. I just don't think you have yeah. to look very far to find a connection to uh, recovery and, you know, family and <laughs> genetics that play into those things that lead us into recovery. Yeah, that'd be, we should do a whole show on, okay. there's a recovery from drugs and alcohol, which I'm familiar with, of course, as listeners know, but then recovery from family. You oh, know, that's a whole like other topic, right? 18 years of living with mom and dad and 18 years to get over it. We should do a show on that. <laughs> well, it's a new year. It's an opportunity ah. to reset folks. And that's going to be a lot of our conversation tonight, but also tomorrow, yeah. Dr. Dave's going to do a special. And I just think a new year is a great time to take stock. And you know who's taking stock? Well, I got a, I got a, what? something to share with you. Okay. The Utah Wildlife Board has approved changes to the Utah prairie dog rule because we've done so well at protecting the prairie dog that their numbers have been coming up. And so they're going to ask that it be delisted eventually. So we've saved enough of them that we can start to kill them again. <laughs> I, I know that when they sent this press release, they're like, you know, Nick and Lara over at Radioactive <sighs> are going to say that line. But hey. Uh, so, yeah, there's the 1973 Endangered Species Act, mm -hmm. right? Long-term data shows that the range-wide population of the Utah prairie dog, they say, has been stable or increasing over the last three decades. And as a result, the DWR maintains that the Utah prairie dog should be federally delisted and removed from the Endangered Species Act. But until it is, until such time as it is, they will continue doing all those things that have meant uh, great support and health for the prairie dog. They're going to monitor how the populations are doing during their annual spring okay. counts. They're going to work to prevent disease by using insecticidal dust on their burrows to kill plague-carrying fleas. 
They're advancing and implementing other plague control methods, continuing to translocate Utah prairie dogs from areas where there are conflicts with private landowners. Did mm. you know they did that? I didn't know they did that. Oh, yeah. That's been a big deal where you wanted to have mm -hmm. a golf course or something mm -hmm. and suddenly the prairie dogs are a problem. Yeah. Yes. Well, the animals will be moved to public land in an effort to reestablish or supplement colonies, maintain genetic diversity and or decrease disease risks. There's a bunch of stuff that they're going to keep on doing. So, But I thought that would be interesting because I remember one of the things I said when I <laughs> took on this job was if I have to talk about prairie dogs for an hour a week. <laughs> But you know what? The prairie dogs are doing all right, it looks like. But let's keep an eye on that. Another announcement that happened, uh, this one today, uh, is that Senator Karen Maine submitted her letter of resignation from oh the Utah my. Senate due to health issues. So lots of folks sending out their well wishes, us as well. Oh, and she, she, she moved into her seat when her husband yes. passed away, who'd been mm -hmm. a long, 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 long time yeah. senator. Eddie Maine, right? So after much prayer, personal consideration, and deliberation with my family, she writes in her resignation letter, she says, I have made the difficult decision, decision to resign my position as senator for Utah Senate District 12. Since the election in November of 2022, my health has taken an unexpected mm. turn and the constituents of District 12 deserve full-time representation. At the beginning of the legislative session on January 17th, 2023, as such, effective January 16th, she will resign her wow. position. It's truly been an honor to serve your sincerely, Karen Maine. I'll put up a link to her letter and also the well wishes from President Adams and Senator Escamilla on the occasion of Senator Maine's resignation. That's, well, that's a family dynasty there. Yeah, will this follow, I presume, the procedures we've seen on the other side of the aisle where yeah. the Democrats will, the Democrats will get to pick yeah. will get to pick the successor who will mm -hmm. then have to run in a couple of years? Interesting. Oh, we'll see, we'll, we'll uh, follow up on that. I'm sure we can check in with the League of Women Voters. All right, yeah. some other things. I wanted to remind folks that there is lots of help to get involved in the legislative session. In fact, the League of Women Voters of Salt Lake have their annual legislative forum online as we're speaking, but it will be archived and online by tomorrow, they tell me. Lots of tips on how to get involved and what to expect from the legislative session in January. That's this month. And how to make a difference. I'm like I'm already losing track of 2023, Nick. Uh, the Free Iran SLC rally is on Saturday at noon at Gateway Mall. Talked to a whole bunch of students involved in that group just on last night's show. And coming up later, Fit to Recover, well, their grand opening of their new flagship location now on Major Street at about 1331 South. That's happening on Saturday. They've outgrown the location. They opened an, an Orem location last year down in Happy Valley. You and I were talking about that old documentary. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of curious why they chose Orem versus, say, another Lo Salt Lake location or Davis County. Why Why Orem? Was there a need? Yeah, is there a need or is there or is the stigma of admitting addiction declining societally-wide? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Be yeah. good. Good conversation with those folks tonight, later in the show. And then one more before we go what? to your conversation with Leah Larson. Sunday, Nick, and everyone out there, if you care about how we treat our homeless members of our community, the deadline for public comment on Utah's plan to address homelessness is this uh, Sunday. So I've got links and uh, to the plan and to the comment section. They will take public comment into consideration as they continue to refine the plan, Nick. Is there is there a plan? Yes. I mean, is, is yes. this, let me rephrase that Whether question. Whether you've liked the results or not so far, Nick, there, <laughs> there's a plan. Let me rephrase the question, please. I feel like a court of law. Have they evolved the plan from what has mm. basically been failed plans for quite a while yeah. now? Well, so I think that's, that's a show. Okay. That's a show, especially after they vote on this plan mm. and put it into uh into practice. All right, it's time for us to go to the tape. Earlier today, you had the opportunity to Zoom. Yeah, Zoomed with Leah Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. Again, we are part of the Great Salt Lake uh, Collaborative, as is the Salt Lake Tribune. And Leah, of course, has done massive reporting on the lake uh, and all the, all the terminal lakes from here to California. But specifically, we talked more about maybe some of the future for the Great Salt Lake. Here we go. Leah Larson, hi, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Oh, my pleasure. You know, the work you all do with the Great Salt Lake or trying to help the Great Salt Lake, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And 
we know, you know, when it comes to whether it's print or TV or whatever it might be that, you know, often we can't, we can't tell people what to think, but we certainly can help them with what they should think about. And it seems to be the lake. Yeah, I mean, record low two years in a row, uh, dust pollution, all kinds of things to be concerned about, absolutely. And so again, just thank you and the Great Salt Lake Collaborative because you are keeping it in front of everybody. And I'm happy you can help us do that by being on the show. So let's jump in. U.S. Magnesium, again, a former Superfund site um, out on the west side of the lake. They do make a lot of money. They are running out of water because they can't access the lake. They wanted to dig their canals another, what, three miles longer. And first the governor said yes. Then the governor said, well, gee, I don't know. And then now it's kind of gone. It's, it seems to be a done deal, except they can apply again. That's right. Um, and it wasn't the governor that said yes or anything. It was his public lands coordinating public lands okay. coordinating office to be okay. fair, but is housed within his office. So I think that's where the confusion comes from. Um, yeah, yeah, and they were initially supportive just because, like you said, U.S. Magnesium does contribute a lot to Utah's economy. It is the only producer of commercial magnesium in the United States, which is important. It's an important material. It's in all kinds of things from soda cans to car parts. Um, but yeah, like you said, they were denied by Department of Environmental Quality because the information they provided in their permit application was overly vague, I guess. They didn't provide enough data about what their impacts might be to water quality. And so the department denied their permit, but did put in the stipulation that, of course, they can reapply if they want and provide that additional detail. So I want to ask about that vagueness, but just to bring people up to date who maybe didn't hear us talk about U.S. magnesium before, they basically have a couple big canals where they pump water a lot out of the lake, and then they evaporate it, right, to get the magnesium out. Exactly. It's a pretty kind of amazing and elaborate process, but you're right. Like, um, and I know like U.S. magnesium gets dinged for its environmental impacts and rightfully so in a lot of cases. But if you think about evaporating brine to get magnesium, it's probably less impactful than a big open pit mine, for example. So interesting process. Is, is, it, is it a fairly easy way to make money? I mean, if you just I'm not a scientist, but gosh, you dig a ditch, you collect a bunch of water, you wait for it to evaporate and then you sort of sift out the magnesium. Sounds yeah. like kind of an easy way to print money, in my mind. Maybe, but, I, you know, their plant that is the one actually getting deemed for all the environmental impacts, yeah. air quality impacts, is where they're refining the brine. And I think I've read some papers to try to wrap my head around how they do it. And I think it's more complicated than just evaporating yeah, okay. water. But <laughs> Pardon me, I'm being a bit cynical because it is the Great Salt Lake and I live here too. So they wanted to dredge, again, the water level's so low, like you said, two years in a row, record lows. Um, and basically these huge canals just couldn't get water anymore. Yeah, the the brine has receded so far that they need to dredge those canals to get the brine they need. Um, they're having a hard time getting it today. I think they had a hard time getting it at the start of the year and the lake's lower than it was a year ago. So, you know, they're just dealing with this ongoing problem. Mm. And you mentioned you mentioned that one of the reasons for the denial of the permit to dredge the canals deeper, longer, et cetera, was that the documentation was vague. That seems strange to me. And I wonder what's your read of why they would submit something that's arguably vague? Oh, that's a good question. And they probably would argue that they weren't vague. Um, but, you know, I did a story where I interviewed uh, a retired U.S. Geological Survey scientist, Robert Baskin, and he sent this letter to the governor that I linked to in my story that you can read. But he kind of goes over how he thought it was pretty vague. Um, you know, in, in certain parts of their application, they're just like, you know, our impacts to water quality will be minimal and limited, but he would point out that like, actually no, because the water is so salty when you were like disturbing the lake bed, the sediment spreads and distributes a lot farther than it would in freshwater and it can settle on microbialites and kind of kill them. And like there's stuff in the sediment that you're going to mix into the water column that, you know, the brine shrimp might eat, the brine flies might eat, and then the birds eat, and then maybe a hunter shoots a duck and eats, you know, so it just moves through the food web in that way. 
and that wasn't really detailed in their permit application. Um, and I don't know if that's where the Department of Environmental Quality landed when they decided there wasn't sufficient detail. That may be why. Mm. Um, but yeah. No, I just the, the the cynic that resides deep in my heart that most KRCL listeners probably have met would would wonder if U.S. Magnesium thought we don't really have to go very deep here because it'll just be rubber stamped and approved. We're a big we're a big business. We're a major corporation. We've been here a long time. It just made me wonder if they didn't think they had to sort of cross all the T's, so to speak. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I mean, like you pointed out at the start of this conversation, the governor's office was backing them and trying to get this rush yeah. approval. So maybe they did think they'd get rubber stamp. But that's that's a big backing to have, you know, to turn over to the Army Corps, whose approval they ultimately also need and be like, look, here, the state of Utah wants this, you know, pushed through. So, I mean, yeah, maybe. We don't know for sure, of course. Do you have numbers how many people work out there? And how, like you said, the only magnesium producer in the U.S., but this is a lot of money, but I don't think it's a whole lot of workers. Yeah, I don't have an exact number, but I've heard the hmm. same. I don't think they're employing hundreds of people by any means, but they do contribute multi-millions to the state economy. So that's that's not nothing. And then, yeah. of course, um, the state collects royalties from any minerals that they sell from the lake and that goes back and is reinvested into the lake and the lake's health so they don't have an insignificant impact yeah good point and and you raise a good point there that there are royalties off the minerals not just whatever the corporate taxes would be so there's right. potentially two revenue streams tell tell me a little bit more about this the scientist you talked to that talked about how dredging out these canals could affect the lake bed which then could impact the brine shrimp. In other words, just digging a ditch deeper could have ramifications far beyond the water that would be lost or evaporated. Yeah, um, so yeah, I thought this was pretty interesting myself. You know, as we've been worried about the lake bed being exposed, we've learned that there's arsenic in it. Um, so I think that's common knowledge. I think it's pretty common knowledge that there's mercury um, but also over by where U.S. Magnesium is, you know, one of the reasons they are a super fun site and being investigated by the EPA is they were producing like dioxins and like PCBs, which are really bad for human health, as well as wildlife. So, you know, there might be some of that contamination in the lake bed sediment that as you're dredging, you're churning it up in the water table. And then, you know, that there's a brine, the brine flies, you know, when they're baby larvae, they they live in the water. So they might be taking that in, the brine shrimp might be taking it in. And that's how it mixes into the food web. But also, like I mentioned earlier, one thing I hadn't considered is just like disturbing the sediment all by itself. Even if there, you know, it was completely pure, it still like distributes throughout the lake and can settle on these microbialites, which need to photosynthesize. Um, you know, there's like these microorganisms, these little colonies that build rocks basically by pulling minerals out of the water column, super cool, cementing them together. That's an important foundation of the food web, especially for the brine flies. That's what they attach to when they're babies. Um, and so if you drown those out, then you kill the microbialites, which again, like I said, was something I hadn't even considered. So I was glad that he brought that to my attention. Right, and once you kill those off, then you start to impacting the brine flies, which then potentially impacts a whole nother industry that capitalizes off the lake, right? The brine the brine flies and feeding the shrimp in Southeast Asia. So what what amount of water are we talking about? Um, they're, they're dredging, you know, go back, say, before the huge drought, they had these large canals where they would get water, which basically it evaporates. Now, we live in a desert and lots of water evaporates from the lake every year. But the difference between what they do and what sort of the lake would lose in a normal year? Uh, well, the thing that's interesting about the mineral evaporation is actually as the lake shrinks and becomes saltier, they take less water because, you know, Mother Nature has already done what they needed it to do and concentrated the brine. So really the amount of water they're bringing out by year varies. Okay. Um, but right now they're bringing out a lot less than they normally would yeah. because the lake is lower and they can't reach the water and also it's hyper concentrated. <laughs> oh, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Um, in the time we have left, and thank you for that, it's always 
you know, you write about these scientific issues and you make them understandable, I think, to people like me who are more of a journalistic bent than a scientific bent. Um, but I want to ask about this other piece you recently wrote, and that is three things we could do that could actually help the lake. And one of those was very much an engineering approach, like, for instance, build a dam so that the fresh water that does come into the lake could dilute it more to keep the salinity at a happy level. Um, I was intrigued by these scientific solutions that sometimes are worse than better. Yeah. Well, I think we had talked before when I've been on this program about engineered solutions for the Great Salt Lake, yeah. um, because that's kind of what they've done at like Owens Lake in California, which completely dried up due to diversions by the city of Los Angeles. Um, so they've diked off areas and flooded them, and that's brought the brine flies and the brine shrimp back and the birds. So uh, I, uh, one of the representatives I spoke to with U.S. Magnesium, like, you know, what's on your wish list for the legislature, you know, in terms of benefiting the lake? And his his big idea was, like, maybe you berm off certain areas and create areas that can support the ecosystem, and maybe we just learn to live with a smaller lake. Um, I just thought it was an interesting angle because obviously that's kind of what they do over at U.S. Magnesium. They're berming off water and like have different salinities. So he has a unique perspective that yeah. way, I would say. Well, I was intrigued in in relation to what we were just talking about, U.S. Magnesium, and they're wanting deeper, longer canals to get their water. But if you started building berms elsewhere, then you might screw up U.S. Magnesium, but you could have the brine flies. I'm not sure you can engineer this for everybody's benefit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, and it's hard to even wrap your head around, right? Yeah. Like, and it's kind of tragic to think about, like, is that the kind of future we want? Do we just want a, you know, a great engineered Salt Lake? <laughs> you know? Yeah, we just we just spent a year talking about building islands down in Utah Lake, and now we're going to engineer this lake? Yeah. Well, okay, thank you. <laughs> Again, the cynic in me keeps surfacing, Leah, whenever we chat. Um one of the other things you wrote about was this notion of agriculture, and there's been plenty of letters to the editor and op-ed pieces, et cetera, about, gee, all this water that goes to alfalfa. But again, one of the points you raise is, you know, alfalfa farmers or any kind of farmer a bit skeptical about giving up their water, even if it's like a temporary. That seems like a huge hurdle. I agree. It does. Um, and I think this is something that the state is really banking on. Like they're really hoping to get the farmers on board to lease their water, um, even like a split season. So maybe they grow like a couple of cuttings of alfalfa and then let the rest of the water flow to the lake. Um, but the farmers that I have spoken to are really skeptical, including some in Box Elder County. I, I didn't include this in the story, but I was up there a couple of weeks ago talking to some farmers and they pointed out to me that, you know, they get really nervous about this idea of letting like land go fallow because, you know, there's like a lot of dairy farms in Utah, for example, and they rely on hay from these fields that are maybe leased, you know, they don't own them, but they buy them from farmers leasing the ground. Um, they buy the hay from farmers leasing the ground. And so if the landlord's like, hey, actually, I can get more money if I just, you know, sell my water to the state or lease my water to the state, then that potentially has ripple effects across the entire agricultural economy. You know, like, are these dairy farmers not going to be able to get the hay they need? Does that mean that, you know, they have to reduce their operation? I, I think, you know, farmers live on very narrow margins, and I think it just makes a lot of them nervous. Well, yeah, I mean, I would, as someone who comes from a farm family background, once you give it up, it would be potentially hard to get it back. Mm -hmm. um, and like you say, there's all sorts of ink dedicated to the alfalfa that get shipped elsewhere, but there are plenty of dairy cows around. The third thing you write about, and just to remind folks, Leah Larson, thank you for being on the show, talking with you again about the Great Salt Lake and all the work you do at the Salt Lake Tribune together with everyone in the Great Salt Lake Collective, which includes, of course, us at KRCL. But the third thing in your article I want to take a minute to talk with you about before we have to let you go is this notion of it's time to get drastic. Um, what are your thoughts on the, if that's actually going to happen? Do you think we'll be able to get drastic or is it like time for another study? Uh, well, but so we, we saw during the interim, a bill, uh, draft that was going to totally take 
for example, uh, the property tax piece out of water districts income. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty drastic, I would say. That's a big change and not popular among the water districts. Um, but that has been whittled back to a study. So uh, I don't know if that is foreshadowing about what we can expect, but you know, I think lawmakers want to get reelected. They probably don't want to be very disruptive especially to the industries that rely on the lake. But we, we'll, we'll see because, I mean, we have a looming public health disaster out there. The ecological collapse has already begun. The people, the boots on the ground that are observing this firsthand are the ones urging drastic action. So, yeah, we'll I just, see. I, I, you raise a good point. And I think that's a key indicator that, gee, maybe we shouldn't let people mask all their water usage and make people actually pay by the gallon but then if you're not going to have your green lawn in XYZ city, it starts to come home. And all of a sudden, this bill is just a study. Um, and that doesn't even get into what we've talked about before, the massive lobbying arm um, representing water. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so in the last minute here, before we have to say goodbye, at least for this discussion of the Great Salt Lake, will your reporting in the next weeks change? Will you be up on the hill or do you get to stay out there in the lake? Um, I'll be watching lake-related <laughs> legislation. Uh, okay. We have a whole team that's going to be on the hill, of course, as we always do. But I'll be specifically looking for water-based legislation. Mm. Uh, so no, that won't change. <laughs> I hope to get well, out on the lake. It's pretty hard to access at the moment. <laughs> I'll say. But I mean, it's it's a challenge. The, you, at the, you all at the Trib have a whole great crew up on the hill to cover the legislators, and they have their connections and know who to talk to and legislators they know who to ask etc cetera, etc cetera. and you're out there trying to cover the the water from here to california and back and yet to inform all of us you know and you do do this but you know you all have to work together it's quite a challenge i think well i'm glad that we're all working together on this i think it's you know really made a difference so yeah i'm glad we're doing a collaborative it's great to work across newsrooms and shed some light on this well, Leah Larson, thank you. And I guess my last question is this article with the three things we could do. You do mention a couple of legislators specifically. Do you have a recommendation for maybe folks that we in the public should be keeping a close eye on up on the Hill, either yay or nay towards helping the lake? <laughs> Definitely the speaker, the House speaker. This is, okay. you know, he's called this probably the, one of the single biggest issues of his political career. And he's very powerful, so uh, it, it's great that he's prioritizing this issue, I would say. So he would yeah. be probably the main one to watch. Well, and shout out to you all. I know folks like the Utah River, Zach Frankel's been on the show a lot, Heal Utah. There's a number of public interest groups also working to help the lake, but I really appreciate you taking time to chat with us on Radioactive and all you do, because um, I certainly have read your most recent articles more than once. So Leah Larson, thank you. Well, thank you. So we at KRCL, of course, are part of the, along with the great, excuse me, we at KRCL, together with the Salt Lake Tribune and many other media organizations, we're all a part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, a solutions journalism initiative, a partnership of news, education, and media organizations that aims to inform readers about the Great Salt Lake. You can read more stories at greatsaltlakenews.org. And in the show notes for tonight, we'll put links yeah. to Leah's articles that we were discussing I, just now. I do suggest following her on Twitter, too. Uh, Leah Larson, L-E-I-A-L-A-R-S-E-N. And pinned to the top of her feed is the story she wrote in November, early November, about the lake's collapse, saying it has begun. She said it was one of the most difficult stories she ever wrote. She had to get up and take a walk at one point, probably several points in writing it. And then lastly, Nick, happy birthday, Utah. Happy, it's statehood yes. day. And another follow suggestion would be their Twitter feed, which is UT History, folks. Some good videos on there. You can mm -hmm. take a look back. Don't be confused with the fake Governor Cox Twitter feed, which can be amusing, <laughs> but isn't the real state Governor Cox feed. But, but it is Twitter. Well, coming up, we're going to be talking about starting over 
You know, yeah, it new is year. the new year. We were talking about that earlier on the show, Laura. But we're going to have a panel discussion here with the folks behind the nonprofit gym Fit to Recover. And they all offer, you know, and provide a safe place for people in recovery. Uh, and we'll have some folks from that group. They've got some big mm-hmm. changes. They have a new double-sized location uh, and so on and so on. But first, we've got a song to get us there. That's right. Something to aspire us from Sampa the Great featuring Anjali Kijo. Let me be great on KRCL. 90.9. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. KRCL is hiring a production assistant to join our staff part-time and support the radioactive program. Details are on our website, krcl.org. KRCL is an equal opportunity employer. Yeah, looking for someone to join the team down here at KRCL. Do quite a bit with radioactive and get your hands on the boards for a lot of other things as well. Do check it out at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones and coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now! followed by Rude Awakening with Liz at 8. Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D at 10.30. John Florence getting your brand new day started at 6 a.m. and you can check out the whole lineup online at krcl.org. Nick Burns, volunteer on Wednesday nights. I want to ask you a question as we get into this uh, concept about or this conversation about starting over. Um, and for so many of us, it's that resolution to hit the gym and you know drop some weight. But maybe a more holistic approach to uh, a new year is something that we could think about yeah. in this next conversation. I've never been very big on sort of that going to turn a leaf and it's a resolution today. Yeah. Changes for me seem to evolve more slowly and last longer that way mm-hmm. rather than, you know, starting Tuesday morning I will or won't. Yeah. Uh you've got resolutions though. You've been talking about smoothies. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we're going to do fi- we're going to do uh we're going to do <laughs> sugar-free February with Rashawn on Tuesdays and some folks that were lining up some stuff. So I want smoothie recipes. I look love a yeah. couple tips. It's it's well smoothies are great i just uh-huh. had a spinach smoothie sitting in my car before i came into the station so i <laughs> totally support that but you know you think about i'm going to quit smoking tomorrow you mm-hmm. know january 1 or whatever so that's something i did gosh 35 or more years ago yeah. but i never quit smoking all i did was decide not to yeah. i still want a cigarette i just mm-hmm. changed the behavior so yeah. the resolution and the sort of that sort of clamping down it just seems dangerous, at least for me, but everybody's different. Well, so sober January is a challenge yeah. for, that a lot of folks take on. Um, but I, I'm really interested in that kind of more of a holistic approach to change for a new year. And I think our guests from the nonprofit yeah. Fit to Recover can get us there. Yeah, let's jump into this. So we have quite a we have quite a segment here to talk with folks. So we'll start with you, Vicki Shaw, Programs Director, Fit to Recover. You've been around, gosh, six, seven, almost 10 years Tell us a little bit about Fit to Recover, which is a nonprofit, you know, gym and really a community center also. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I want to emphasize, that we're not just a gym. I think a lot of people know us for the fitness piece, but um, what we really are is a community center for people that are um, in recovery from substance misuse. So we do fitness, um, and we also do nutrition, creative arts, and community service. That is our four pillars of health. Um, so it's just... It's just four things that that really help people um, not just recover from substance misuse, but also just overall health, right? Um, and the community center piece, like our whole um, mission is safety, connection, and community. So those those four pillars are just an avenue for people just to connect. And, and again, a gym can be a connection. Some people love that environment. Yes. But that's just... I mean, I want to say that's a drop in the bucket of what mm-hmm. you all provide. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So tell me more about this art side and the community connection side. Okay. So our creative arts pillar um, is beautiful. We have a uh, actually PhD level now um, 
who is running our creative arts pillar and she is magical but she just creates this safe space for people to come in and create art we do art groups on um, Friday nights which has been a huge hit even if you have no art experience it's just a good time once again it's just an avenue for people to come in and connect and have something to do and feel a part of um, we do music, so she lets people come in and just create. Um, in our new space, which I know we're going to get to in a minute, but we have she's going to has her own space, and it's really going to turn into a venue also for sober events, and just it just got this really cool vibe and energy about it. Is there anybody anywhere who's like offering folks a recovery path that includes art and working out? I just think that's amazing. <laughs> no, I mean, I think we are really breaking the mold on that. I mean, I know there's other places that do things similar, but the four pillars that we have, um, no one's really done it and no one's doing it how we're about to do it over this next year. So, And it seems to be working. So James Ryrie, we bring you in here, front desk coordinator and chatting with you before we came on the air. You do far more than just kind of staff a front desk. Yeah, Um definitely a lot more um so i'm the first plate first face anyone sees when they um walk in that front door and i know for me um i was that person walking through the door at one point and so it was you know very nerve-wracking to um go into a gym where i had had very um some trauma around you know i was made fun of while i was in gym class in uh high school and so coming into a gym was super scary for me um but having you know, now being that face on the front side, I can make that less scary for someone. I can have them come in and I am a smiling, friendly face that they see. Um, and usually what is a very um, scary well, thing. It, it, yeah, I would think. But it's clear that you haven't forgotten sort of being on the other side of the street. No, no. How oh, long man, ago was just, that for you? Well, you brought up a whole bunch of stuff from seventh grade <laughs> gym class. Like, don't look at me. I mean, and I still take that into the gym with me. Yeah, huh. no, and I do. And that's just, I think, something that's always going to live with me. You know, it's something that I will get over, but I won't fully um, get over. You know, wow. it's something that I've learned is a part of my past, but also I can make it um, – some fuel for my future. But it sounds like it's become something that you can sort of keep in a backpack, not mm -hmm. wear as blinders. Correct, yes. Yeah. yeah. So what brought you to being involved in Fit to Recover? I mean, being bullied or whatever in seventh grade gym class, this is a huge leap. Um, yeah. Uh, so what brought me was I did uh, outpatient at Odyssey House. Um, okay. I'd heard about Fit to Recover from a couple people there and obviously was too scared to make that leap. Um, and then I had a friend who had recommended it. And then I was like, okay, well, the only way I'm going is if you're going to be there in the morning, you know, like I can't go alone. Uh. Um, so we met there and we went into the class and I found connection and community and just loads of love. Like I've never felt love from people I didn't know before. And that's what I felt in that room. Um, the trainers are super informed on, um, you know, if something doesn't feel good, you don't have to do it. Well, I mean, safety's got to be important. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Interesting. I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm, I'm really curious about this notion of, you know, you mentioned Odyssey House, and I know Fit to Recover has connection with 20, 30 different treatment centers where you all go and are involved, and then you can sort of lead people on this path to the Fit to Recovery, Fit to Recover rather door. But I would think for many people that would be a huge step to go through that door yeah. if you're an addict and whatever i don't care whether it's drugs or or alcohol or whatever but all of a sudden you're supposed to go to the gym and yeah. paint with strangers on friday night it's is is there a secret you think that that you have to click inside to i mean you ask a friend to go with you yeah that's it's just huge it seems yeah um i think the biggest thing i can say to people if anyone's listening is that I'll be there and I am a very friendly face to walk into and um, this this space that you're walking into is safe. Good sales pitch. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that Ian, your founder, as I recall, said on this show, one of the many times we've had him on um, and really brought this home to me was that the opposite of addiction isn't necessarily sobriety, it's connection. Mm -hmm. And all the things that you offer at a nonprofit quote unquote gym it's about about connection no and that, speaking personally that was one of my issues was mm -hmm. to go to aa i felt no connection yeah. 
And I felt that's like why I drank was to avoid connections. And to go to AA, it was great to talk and it was great to listen, but I didn't feel any connection with people. Yeah. Uh, and clearly what you all do in Fit to Recover is very much based on getting together, whether it's burpees or art. I mean, I think it's pretty cool. Alex McRae, I want to bring you in here. Outreach coordinator. Yes. So are you one of these people who's going and visiting the treatment centers and sort of pitching, come and join us? Yes, I will be. Actually, I just started okay. first of this month down in Orem. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. So you just started. Tell me about your journey to get through the door, so to speak, into the gym. Well, it didn't start too long ago. It was just a few months ago. I was in a treatment center myself after a small relapse. Wow. And okay. um, I had no knowledge of FTR whatsoever. And my treatment center would bring us on Tuesdays and we would work out with Ian. And that was honestly like kickstarted my journey this time because I have always been a huge part or excuse me, fitness has always been a huge part of my life and my mental state. So having this new outlet, not just AA, I also, I as well follow AA program, but it's just another thing to add to my recovery that helps with my mental state. It's a part of connection. It gets me out of my head and into my body and also helps with those traumas that you need to release that sometimes you just have a, for me, somebody like me, I have a hard time getting into those places. And so it's been a really good way for me to release that. I mean, I can hear the I can hear the the turmoil in your voice that this <laughs> is a this is a big deal. I mean, you're fairly new. It sounds like fit to recover. It is. But it, I think, going from zero to now, you're an outreach coordinator, speaks in a massive positive way that what this can offer. Oh, extremely. I mean, from. From where I was at to where I am now, I never thought in a million million years, <laughs> at least not this soon, that I would be a part of FTR. I mean, see, I wanted to from the minute I walked through those doors. And oh, to be able to be a part of that three months later, it's the biggest blessing that I've had in my life. You're hooked. I am. Oh, I, I don't know. Just, just, this is awe-inspiring for the first of the year. So, Vicki, there's probably 100 stories like this. Oh, yeah. We see this every day. I mean, we have close to probably 700 people walk through our doors in a, in a week with treatment centers and our community classes and all of our pillars. Um, and it's amazing. Every, you can just show up how you are. So in the beginning of every class, no matter what kind of class it is, we check in and give people an opportunity to connect. But okay. we might have somebody that's just 24 hours sober, somebody that's four years sober, someone that wanted to like you know, maybe not live anymore yesterday. And they're all connecting in one big space and everyone's rallying around them. And it, it's just a beautiful, amazing thing to be a part of. And so give, give me a visual of walking through the door. It, this is walking into a gym? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, I, and James is absolutely right. He has probably the most important role in our organization um, because he's the first fa- face that they see. Right. So we t- we have purposely taken a trauma informed approach. So everything is intentional from the minute they walk in the door to the minute that they that they leave and, and every interaction. Tell, tell me about trauma informed. What do you mean by that? So most people, um, particularly in recovery, have experienced a lot of trauma and live in shame. So it's just a very intentional approach to do a, do no more harm. To that trauma right not trigger that trauma anymore so it's from them walking in the door um, being greeted feeling safe feeling seen being a part of to the programming that we do for fitness it is not just a regular fitness class it is very intentional so meaning the movements are selected um, that so that everybody can do and they can feel empowered by the time that they leave um, it's all about connecting so there's what we do know is people not even people in recovery like lots of people all black and white right and or like <laughs> they just want to go 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 and there's no gray there's no rest so a lot of the programming is teaching people how to find that middle ground and mm. finding rest and and in so being able to connect in doing so i mean i'll go out on a limb here and saying for many people who are addicts life gets pretty fast or slow black or white yes and yes slowing down to live in the gray can be very very scary uh-huh yep oh. yep well that that point of walking in nick i wanted to go back to that for a minute because i'm just thinking of the last time i went someplace 
uh, Steiner to walk around the hockey rink. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not saying hello to the person behind the desk who I can just barely see above the, yeah. the large desk. And I'm just, you know, waving my thing in front of him trying to get. To... <laughs> so it's like it's connection from the jump. Go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And even our front door. And we're, we're going to take this to the new space. But it just says, just breathe. You are safe. That's got to be hmm. huge. One of the mm-hmm. other things that, you know, you, you were also kind of alluding that AA works for some folks, not for others. But, um, you know, one of the things that is often said to folks in recovery, especially if they're also tied into the criminal justice system, is you can't hang out with any people that you know. You can't mm-hmm. hang out with anybody who else also has this issue. Mm-hmm. But at Fit to Recover, it's a nonprofit. You can do things a bit differently. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, that's why I'm at Fit to Recover. I'm, I've, I've been a substance abuse counselor for like 20, I'm not going to say how many years, that ages me. But uh, I, And I worked in treatment You're for all of those, those years. And, so you know uh, all those tropes that people thought worked. Yes, uh. yes. And I'm not saying that treatment doesn't work. There is definitely a need for treatment. Mm-hmm. But what was always missing for me was that aftercare piece and the, and the place to change that community, the- change that after care those those after patterns right because what if do you, you do just, now the, the if you just send right? them back to wherever they were with no changes mm-hmm. it's not going to be successful and then you see this cycle of people returning to treatment over and over and over again so i left treatment a year ago to come on full time and honestly it's like my dream job so <laughs> yes. and, and as we were saying earlier you have this connection and a lot of your funding comes from these treatment centers like Odyssey House mm-hmm. and many, what, 20, 30 others yep. that yep. you go and meet people there. Yeah, or and, they come to us. and Right, yep. have a daily. Uh-huh. But I mean, I, I love that. Again, we're back to the word connection, but I love the notion of you're ready to leave treatment and rather than here's a buck and you're back on the street with wherever, mm-hmm. here's a friendly face. Yep, yep. And that's where, we honestly, we get a lot of our members, just like Alex, James. They were introduced through treatment and then they just continue to stay and become part of our is, community. Is there research or do you have data on the success rate of keeping people clean and sober through fit to recover as opposed to just your here's bus fare? Yes. In fact, I should, um, I don't have all the numbers, but we just are actually just started collecting data. We got a huge grant from the state and that's part of the requirement because one thing I know, Ian, and we, we never really knew how to do it without making people feel like they were a number. So we wanted to mm. collect data in a in a positive way that made people feel like they were, were not, yeah. you know. So we just started doing that, and the evidence, the research has been amazing about so how effective that we are. Um, just their recovery in different mm-hmm. areas, so like financial, self care. Um, just James, you re- you hand out the surveys. What else is on there? Um, it has yeah, financial, self care. Um, if you're getting, you know, the correct nutrition, mm-hmm. um, as well as if um. You know, like, I'm going to be honest, I haven't taken a survey in a while, but, um, and I was put on the spot. Overall mood, and and so it's just a way to rate people and and just see increases, and and our numbers have been really successful. As a client, is probably important, too, for progress. You know, we always like to chart our progress. No, I think think that makes a lot of sense, that that you're giving a framework Mm -hmm. for people to exist within rather than that potential of next Saturday night, you're going to be back with the same group of friends and they're all going to be high and you're trying to be sober. It just seems like a recipe for disaster. Or you're right back to the same family Mm -hmm. dynamic with an abusive mom, dad, partner, or whatever it might be. I am Nick Burns. This is Radioactive. And we're talking talking with Vicki, talking with James, and talking with Alex, who all work at Fit to Recover, which is a nonprofit community center. They've been around for quite a while. They're opening a new location, doubling in size. And they offer fitness, nutrition, community, creative arts. Those are the four pillars. And they specifically help lots of folks, it's clear, on a road to recovery, which I think is pretty amazing um i wonder about connection and cohorts and groups within fit to recover and uh james earlier when we were chatting you mentioned lbgtq plus yeah that there's a cohort so it's a safe space for for gay folks correct i think that's pretty cool so anyone who identifies in that community um whether that be you know um gay by um 
transgender we um have seen all of them and we do a fitness class that is also like vicky had mentioned earlier very intentional with the movements very intentional with how we're connecting with each other as well as um there's a 45 minute group after which is not aa based it's just recovery based okay um and we all check in and we just talk about how our recovery is going and if we need any support from anybody um you know ftr creates a safe space for everybody but it creates you know an even safer space for people in that community is there like a recovery also from sort of being in the closet is that part of recovery for some folks i wonder when um, you're, when you're I, out also yeah. dealing with recovery from substance abuse disorder and well, then uh perhaps the challenges um in their own life as lgbtq family or their own mm -hmm. identity yeah i mean um a lot of it comes from, you know, I was raised in the prominent religion in this, mm -hmm. in this uh, state, and a lot of my trauma comes from that. And, you know, thinking that what I was or how I identified was wrong, mm. and um, that is not the case, as well as um, a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, sober things for the gay community in Utah, you know? Like, I've noticed that if you want to do something and it's in the gay community, it involves, you know... I did, did a volleyball thing a while back, and, you know, there, it was a drinking game, which um, it was fun. Not so I'm not good. Saying, yeah. I, I'm not saying it wasn't fun. Yeah. I'm just saying it wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. And this is creating that space for us to come together and then maybe create our own, um, you know, sober gay community to go out and do those things together. I mean, we were talking about trauma-informed help earlier, and if you grow up with a dominant culture that's telling you you're wrong for 10, 20, 30 years— that's got to be traumatic. Yeah, without without resistance, um, and the self medicating that can result. Oh, yep. definitely from that. Alex, um, you were talking about dropping by to work out with your child, mm -hmm. so there's a whole other kind of there's a whole other realm there of folks who are recovering. They might be married. They might be single parents. I know there can be lots of problems with with couples when one person is sober and the other one's still abusing. Definitely. But in your case, single parent. Mm -hmm. extra challenges I would think and yet here you were talking about gee I can take my child and they can hang out with the etch-a-sketch or whatever while yeah, I work course. out um being a single parent you know you're isolated a lot with um you know I have to be a working mom and plus take care of my kids during the day so I like like I was saying before uh fitness is a lot to do with my mental state having some place that's safe for me and safe for my kids to go it has been great for me. Um, and not only that, it has helped me build a tribe around me that I've never had before. People I can call on, for example, tonight, I had a situation, I didn't have a babysitter, and I was able to call somebody in um, recovery that I that comes to class, and he showed up at the drop of a hat to take care of my three kids for me. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be a change in your life, to say the least. Oh, huge, you know? <laughs> yeah. Huge, because, you know, I've got my parents, but... It's it's nice for them to be able to enjoy their retirement and me be able to have friends and people I can rely on. Yeah. So we just have a couple minutes left, and there's a, a couple things, Nick, I want to try and, and squeeze in. Sure. First of all, we're talking a lot about how this serves people in recovery, but Fit to Recover is open to all. And when I hear you talk about the things that go on at this gym, at this community center, I'm like, that that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking for rather than, you know, kind of slinking into the gym, hope no one sees me or judges me and where I am in, in my fitness recovery. And um, Vicki, that's, that's also the point of Fit to Recover. You're creating community yep. in yep. a very specific way, perhaps with a focus on a very specific audience, but it's really how we should do community. Yeah, I mean, in, in reality, it w everyone in the world could use what we do, right? Um, and everyone is welcome. We just ask that there's 24 hours of sobriety and that you understand our mission. Mm -hmm. um, but it's amazing because we've watched, um, like James's mom has joined the gym and oh. starts coming to class. We have several family members that just see what it's done for their child or their family member. It's a or positive their safe space to reconnect. Yes, yes. And you have a couple anniversaries that we gotta mention because yeah. there's some nice synchronicity going on right now. Right, and I was, joked last year, I'm like, are we gonna do this every year? And here we are again <laughs> this year doing it. Yeah. But yeah, last year, um, exactly one year tomorrow was our grand opening in Orem. And then this year um, on Saturday, we are opening our new location in Salt Lake, which is 
Yeah, it's huge. We have two building spaces. We were just running out of space in our old lo- uh, location. Mm-hmm. We couldn't add anything. And so um, this is going to allow us to create and, and just really expand all of our programs. So, ja- uh, yeah, Saturday, January 7th, we're opening our new location. It's our big grand opening. What time and where? So we have 10 o'clock. We have boot camp. It's our, it was our original class where FTR all started, so it only makes sense that this is the first class in our new space. 11 o'clock, we're having a ribbon cutting. And then after that, just an open house with treats and just tours and just, just connecting a community. The address? 1331 South Major Street. And 1335. And 1335, <laughs> yes. Yeah, both two buildings. buildings. Tell yeah. me about being in Orem. Yeah, Nick and I were wondering, was it intentional choosing that city versus, okay, we're at this geographic distance in Salt Lake and our demographics say we should go here. Was there something specific about, you know, maybe we're needed down there? Yeah, I think we just looked at different areas because we wanted to expand and um, we knew there was a need in Orem and we had known that there are some treatment centers. Um, Alex is on now to help us grow that program. Alex, Um, why? Are you from Orem by chance? Yeah, born and raised Utah County. Yeah. Nick and I were talking about <laughs> the Happy Valley documentary from 2008, I think, which, you know, talks about um, the consumption of um, prescription drugs and other things that you wouldn't necessarily stereotypically associate with a county that's home to Brigham Young University. That's true, but just like everybody says, in the recovery community doesn't discriminate. Yeah, I mean, single parent. You, you used to be that. called Sandy Candy, I believe, that <laughs> would yeah, be the, the drug of choice. Um, so, Orem, tell me about, it's the very same, same program, same kind of gym, right? Yes, it's same much programs. smaller. It's same okay. program. So, we don't have the um, nutrition in that location. Um, we have had creative arts, but right now we're working on expanding it. With the new location, it, all of the time and energy have kind of gone up to here. So that was what, why they brought me on because okay. I'm a part of the community. I do sober softball down there. I know you know, I've, I know a lot of people at the treatment center. So that's my job is to reach out to all these treatment centers and the programs that I'm a part of and um, bring people to our Orem location and just spread the word. And again, just to reiterate, the treatment center seems like just a natural mm-hmm. of course yeah to reach mm-hmm. out to I mean you've got the audience there obviously yeah. Yeah. Um, but there is a community within those treatment centers that I think for many of those folks are hungry for change they don't want to end up back on the street again so yeah, to speak absolutely and, yeah. and bringing on Alex we like the struggle we were having is like none of us are down there in the actually recovery okay. community so the point of bringing Alex on is really just somebody that is already invested down there and can get buzz and create yes. buzz and so now it's time for our lightning round to close out the show tonight Ooh. folks <laughs> I want your go-to moves in the gym oh, and yeah. your go-to uh, smoothie so we're gonna start. We're gonna start over here with James. James, what do you think? So my favorite moves in the gym would have to be um, a deadlift, box jumps, and just you know your regular push up. Box jumps. Oh, those are just. Uh, I love them. Okay, um, you're And then just uh, peanut butter. Peanut butter smoothie. You can't go wrong I with peanut butter. Get behind a peanut butter smoothie. And inspiration for folks listening, whether they're starting their um, substance use disorder recovery or. This is the year they're going to start slow and go the distance in the gym. Um, it takes time. Don't try to do it all in one day or one year. Find you know, some folks who can support you, right? Find some balance. Okay. All right, Alex. Yep. Same thing. What are your go-to moves? Your your smoothie and your inspiration. I'm probably one of the only people that love Sally's. What are Sally's? Huh. You know the song "Bring Sally Up, Bring uh, Sally Down." Mm, so you basically do a move trauma. up just and down. So bring your legs up. Bring your legs down. down. An ab workout. Yep. All right. Yes, okay. squats. I'm already winded. And then I like to do I like to do burpees to the A C D C song. Oh, yes. oh man. <laughs> Which A C D C song was back or uh, Thunderstruck. Uh, thunderstruck. So every time, every time it's yeah, anytime it says thunderstruck, you have to do one. Or thunder. It's oh, I great. like that. Yeah. I like that. It a makes lot. it fun. It's challenging. Everybody's laughing. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. I'm probably the only person that loves those. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> S- smoothie and inspiration. Yeah. Um, smoothie. I like green smoothies. I like the ones that are chalky and gross because I know they're probably good for me. <laughs> <laughs> and some inspiration for the folks. Slow and steady wins the race. All right. Mm. 
Grab that microphone, Vicky. Your go-to moves, your go-to smoothie, your go-to inspiration. Go-to, no burpees, absolutely no cardio. <laughs> no, no. So I'm gonna say, I'm a, I come from a powerlifting background, so deadlift, oh. back squat, um, bench press. Mm. My three to go, wow. go-to moves. Smoothie. Smoothie, any like I'm with James. Anything with chocolate, peanut butter, <laughs> not the healthy <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, okay, Sorry. you signed that. Sorry, yeah. that's all right. And inspiration. Um, give yourself some grace. There you go. Get some grace. Nick Burns. Um, I really enjoy rowing machine. Yeah. Um, that's just one of my favorites. I just kind of like the pace of that. Um, smoothies got to be carrot. I really like carrot Ooh, smoothies. Mm. Gonna get your recipe. Um, just whip up a carrot um <laughs> nick burns that is our show that is the show thank you again thank you to all our guests on radioactive fit to recover we'll have it in the show notes and keep it tuned to your community connection any ideas for us radioactive at krcl.org democracy now is next thank you nick thank you laura KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. KRCL's Music Meets Movies returns to Broovies on Thursday, January 12th. We'll watch a documentary called The Glamour and the Squalor about Seattle's most legendary radio DJ. Pardon the interruption to your broadcast. My name is Marco Collins, and I'm here to announce the end of bad radio on this frequency. It suddenly felt like Seattle was on the map in a way that it hadn't been before, and Marco was that megaphone. Marco jumped out of the radio and made you take notice. He was kind of a rock star himself. He was the on-off switch for your career. Bands that come to mind that Marco broke. Weezer. President of the United States. In the studio with me is Beck. He was early on electronic music. I have the prodigy up next. Hi, we're from Daft Punk. Hi, this is Tom from the Chemical Brothers. Marco wasn't scared to put his weight behind a track that he believed in. Breaking the law! Breaking the law! He's playing music that we're not allowed to hear. You gotta be willing to pioneer. And that's the story of Marco Collins. That's KRCL's Music Meets Movies, January 12th at Broovies. Tickets at the door at 6.30, The Glamour and the Squalor at 7.30. More info at krcl.org.